message is entitled Legacy Now. I have a half-brother who is present, uh, George Hamilton, uh, sitting next to Deacon O'Neill. Would you stand, brother, if you can, just wave your hand. Amen. Amen. Well, if that's not him, that looks like him. He's here. He's here. He's here somewhere. Amen. Praise the Lord. He looks like him, just like him. Oh, my God. Hallelujah. I do have a half-brother, and his name is George Hamilton, affectionately called Pee-wee. <laughs> amen. Amen. He's the first person I know that had a real job and went to the military and all of that. So we're very proud of him and look forward to the time when he's able to join us. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 5, which has already been read in your hearing, I'm going to read, uh, beginning in verse 6, I'm not going to read completely to the end of that verse 11. That's a, a benediction, verses, uh, verse 11 and 12, uh, uh, verse 11. But read with me as we look at verse 6. Therefore, humble yourself. Under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due season, casting all of your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same suffering, sufferings are the experience, are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you are doing. Nothing takes you by surprise. And we hold to the promise that all things work together for the good of them who love you and are the call according to your purpose. Now, Holy Spirit, have your way. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Church said amen. 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 Some years ago, I heard a story about a man who got into a very serious argument with his wife. He was not winning the argument. <laughs> and like some men do, when we don't win, we leave. So he became so angry that he grabbed the keys to his pickup truck and rushed out of the house and slammed the door so hard that he hoped it would come off of his hinges. You know what happens if it did, he'd have to fix it. He jumps into his pickup truck and he drives away and the more he thinks about what his wife was saying to him and how she wouldn't listen and how she couldn't see it his way, the faster he drove that pickup. And in his rage, he lost awareness of his speed as he's making his way around these mountainous curves. Then he loses control of the pickup truck, and it goes hurling over the side of a cliff 
And miraculously, he's able, before the truck hits the bottom of the Levine, he grabs a hold of a tree branch. And so he's hanging there for dear life, and he looks down beneath where his truck has hit the ground, and it burst into flames. So he started praying. He remembered he was a Christian. God, forgive me for yelling at my wife. God, forgive me for using those four-letter words I know Christians shouldn't use. Lord, please forgive me if I broke the hinges off the door when I slammed it. I won't do it again. Please, Lord, give me another chance. He's crying. He's pleading with God. And to his shock and amazement, God speaks. I hear you, my child. I don't know if he sounded like that, but he said, I hear you, my child. And he said, I will forgive you. Take your hands off of the branch. The man became silent. He looked down in the Levine and saw his truck still burning. And then he looked up and he said, is there anybody else up there? <laughs> it's hard to let go. We have a real struggle with losing control, not being able to influence how things come to their conclusions. I, 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 I'm not great about flying planes. I want to fly the plane. I want to be the pilot. I feel a lot safer if I was flying the plane. Because I want to be in control of this thing going down. So we have difficulty taking our hands off because we don't want to lose control. Too many Christians are backseat drivers when it comes to allowing the Lord to be in control of our lives. We want to press the brake. We want to turn when we think we should turn. We want God to speed up when we think he should speed up. We want God to take our GPS coordinates. Are you amazed like I am when I see these folks in these electronic Teslas sleeping? <laughs> we trust Tesla to get us to where we want to go more than we trust God. Who would go to sleep with a car that doesn't have somebody controlling the steering wheel? We trust ourselves more than we trust God. And so we find ourselves often spiritually defeated because we refuse to take our hands off of things. When we come to 1 Peter, chapter 1, the church is in a very dire predicament, all triggered by what transpires in Acts chapter 7, 
that was the first time in the history of the new church when a Christian was killed, martyred, because of their faith. Stephen, one of the first deacons, just sharing from the word of God, the truth of God, that Jesus is the stone that the, the builders rejected, and that stone has now become the chief cornerstone. But his audience, he said, you have crucified. And the Bible said they became so angry with him that they picked up stones. They laid their coats at the foot of a man named Saul of Tarsus. And they stoned Stephen. And as he was being stoned to death, the Bible says he looked into heaven and he could see Jesus, who was seated at the right hand of the Father, stand up. And Stephen prayed as Jesus did, Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But that ushered in a period of persecution. Now, the interesting thing, how God works all things together for his good, is that the Lord had already said, but when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you shall be my witnesses, not just in Jerusalem. They were cool in Jerusalem. He said, but in Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the, of the inhabited earth. And so they stopped in Jerusalem. The church was about 30,000 strong. They were just having a holy huddle, signs and wonders. And then the Lord allowed persecution, and the church was scattered. They went to Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, but without the persecution there may not have been a universal church. And so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the apostle Peter, one of the last surviving apostles, who ultimately will lose his life crucified upside down for his profession of faith, is directed to share with us a message that he shared with the, the diaspora, the scattered church, how they should stand firm in the grace of God, in the, face of, uh, in the face of persecution. Stand strong in the true grace of God when you're going through. It's not hard to stand strong when we're in church. But this nonsense that we're facing in the world today, you better, you better be strapped. I ain't talking about with no guns. I'm talking about with the whole armor of God. We are living in evil times on both sides of the fence. On both sides. Whose side am I on? I'm not on the right or the left. I'm on God's side. I'm on God's side. And that makes us enemies to both. So get used to it. <laughs> and as we are moving, we're moving into another, we're moving closer to Canaan. We got, it's a great location, but we're going to be moving into a whole new set of spirits. And we're going to have to have some backbone church to stand on the word. So we got to be praying and be prepared for that now. And so what the Apostle Peter tells the believers as he is closing out what he has taught, and I'm not going to give a summary of the, of the four chapters that have preceded. I always encourage you to be like the Berean believers. They studied what was taught every time they heard the word to see if what was said was so. And so I, I encourage you to read the book of Peter. Uh, starting with 1 Peter and also uh, 
reading 2 Peter, which is an entirely different theme or purpose. But what he shares in this passage of Scripture is how we can let go, take our hands off, and not need to be in control. And so I want to share with you uh, four ways that we can reach our full potential in the Lord and leave a legacy that matters. The scary thing about getting old, aside from your body just beating you up every day, is refusing to change. If you're not prepared to change, you will, you will not grow. You will not grow old gracefully. You're going to be an old grouch. And so I want to encourage, you can be young and old. You can be an old grouch, a young grouch. So always have a spirit that there's something that God can teach me to grow. And as long as you're growing, you never get old. You never do. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's good to have Deacon O'Neill in the house. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The first thing that he tells us, he says in verse 6, therefore, in conclusion, in the summary of a whole matter, from everything that I've said previously, the first thing that you need to do to take your hands off is to humble yourself. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. That, uh, you can preach that forever. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Now, the Greek word translated humble is tapino. Tapino, you'll soon forget that. But it literally refers to height and suggests making oneself low or close to the ground. It means to minimize yourself. It's kind of like what, Jesus, what John said in John chapter 2 when his disciples came and they said, Jesus, is, his ministry is getting bigger than yours. and They're talking about him more than they're talking about you. And John said, I must decrease and he must increase. And so humility is minimizing ourselves, bringing ourselves low, placing ourselves close to the ground. Nobody can, look nobody can look over you if you're already in the right position, and that is in the lowest position where God can, in a position of prostrate, in a prostrate position, God can use a surrendered vessel. Somebody say amen. amen. So when, you, when, 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 when it comes to being humble under the mighty hand of God, what that means is mighty hand of God re references his authority. It means that we, by virtue of this command, it's a commandment to humble ourselves, bring yourself under the authority of God so that he has total control over your life. Total control over your life under the mighty hand of God because he has the right and the authority is humility. When I am under the total control because he's my master, he's my Lord, he is the controller, he is the ruler, and he can dictate to me whatever he chooses. Are you under the mighty hand of God? So he says, humble yourself. Humble yourself. You don't find a lot of books on the shelf about humility. You'll find a whole bunch of books about how to make yourself look good, how to get rich quick. Well, you ain't going to find nothing about humility. Humility is not a virtue in our country. 
it's actually frowned upon. People think that they deserve. They, they, people, people today have, have a, uh, a, a spirit of, um, of, of that, that you owe, that we owe somebody something. What is the entitlement? Entitlement spirit. And so the Lord said, humble yourself. If you want to let go, take your hands off. If you want to be in a position where I can maneuver and direct you and elevate you, and he said, I will exalt you in due season. I will give you a position of honor. I will give you success if you humble, bring yourself under my authority so that I have complete control. Now, we, 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 we kind of can get a picture of this if, if we, when we, when, when I, I'm on the, 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 the uh, tablet and I decide to go to another, another screen, we can minimize one screen and maximize the other. The maximized screen is the one that gets our attention. And so what the Lord has said, when it comes to him having authority over our life, we need to be the minimized screen and he the maximized screen. Jesus is our example in Philippians chapter 2. The Bible says he who existed in the form of God, who had the very nature of God before creation, Jesus existed as a spirit being co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent with God. He said he did not regard becoming equal to God something that he had to gain or to obtain. He was already equal to God. But the Bible says he humbled himself and he emptied the, the, the word kenosis. He emptied himself taking on the form of a servant and, and operating in total obedience. We have a high priest who has been tempted in all points like as we are. He never sinned. Operating in obedience by taking on human form. John put it this way. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. But the Word took on flesh. Jesus minimized himself. And while he was serving on the earth, he maximized God. Now, what we minimize doesn't cease to exist as a self-sustaining entity. It's still there. It's minimized. You just can't see the, what you minimize because you, you're focusing on what, what you maximize. And so when the Bible says that Jesus emptied himself, he never stopped being God. He just voluntarily chose not to maximize all of his supernatural powers all of the time. He was always God. He was simply minimized. He was showing God on the screen. He humbled himself. He lowered himself. He placed himself close to the ground. He who was rich became poor that through his death, Burial and resurrection, we might be rich. Humility is the key. Humility is what God honors. Humility is not a struggle for the top, it's a struggle for the bottom. Because the Bible says that the last will be first and the first will be last. Now, why do we struggle with humility? One of the reasons we struggle with humility is fear of the unknown. Fear of the unknown. God, when the Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for, finish it for me, and the evidence of things not seen. Then verse 6 in Hebrews says, but without faith, it is impossible to please God, for he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. And so the reason we struggle is because we, we, faith requires that we move having not seen. 
that we do because God said it, not because we can see it. And so when we can't see it, we struggle. And then we, what we, so in order to go forward without faith means that we will have to depend on something other than ourselves. And so fear of the unknown, fear of the unknown. God tells us what to do, but he doesn't tell us how, what's going to happen while we're doing it, how long it's going to last. He says, go, Jesus told the disciples, go to the other side. He didn't say between then and there, there was going to be a storm. So we get messed up in the storm. And so the fear of the unknown. If I really give my life fully to the Lord, what am I going to miss? I'm going to lose some Facebook friends. You know, Elon Musk is going to keep on messing up Twitter if I, if, I, if I give myself fully to the Lord. So fear of the unknown, focusing on the wrong thing. We want instant gratification. We want, it, we want it to feel good. If we do good, God is supposed to make us feel good. He never promised that. Hmm, I don't see that in the Bible. He said do good. And we, the, the blessing is that he rewards obedience. The Bible says, for we look not at the things that we can see, but the things that are not seen. For everything that you see, feel, and touch is passing away. But the unseen things are eternal. And so when your focus is on the temporal, you will not release control of your life to the Lord. And so focusing on the wrong things. What are you focusing on? Are you focusing on what is right in front of your face? Some of us just live from one day to the other. We don't have any kind of plan, any kind of goals, any kind of sense of destiny, what's going to happen to us. So we spend it as fast as we get it. We go wherever somebody else wants us to go. You don't have a plan. You don't have a, a schedule. God never created you to be without a plan. A plan uh, if you don't plan, you plan to fail. And so focusing on the temporal. Christians look, uh, look at that which is above. Do you have an eternal perspective? Do you see your life from the, from the lenses of the scriptures? Can you see what God sees when he looks at you? And so focus on the wrong things is what keeps us from letting go. Familiarity. We compare ourselves with each other. I'm just as good as her. I'm just as good as him. I must be spiritual. In fact, I'm better than they are. I know a couple extra verses. They don't know those verses. <laughs> and so we look pretty good when we use man-made standards to determine what humility is. I thought I was the most humble person there was. In my mind, it couldn't have been a hum more humble person until somebody exposed my pride. And so when you compare yourself to, to other Christians like the Pharisee did in Luke chapter uh, 18, he said, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this publican. I'm not like this tax gather. I, I fast. I pray. I tithe. I'm better than they are. Look how humble I am. Listen to me, Lord. Don't you, aren't you impressed with me? And so when you can, familiarity, when you compare yourself with others, the, the goal is not to look like your neighbor, but to look like Jesus. We have been saved to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus. So when you look at yourself in the mirror and compare it to the, to the, to the word, the lens of the scriptures, how much do you look like Jesus? But here's the main reason why we struggle to take our hands off of things. He says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due season. The previous verse says, God gives grace to the humble, 
but he does what? He resists the proud. My brother back. Saddle. Amen. Yeah, he resists the proud. We think more highly of ourselves than we should. Pride is having an over-concern for yourself. How do I look? What are people going to say? I don't really care what they say. <laughs> I'm going to do me. And so pride, you can have an over-assessment of yourself. In, in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, it says, don't think more highly of yourself than you should. When we do, that's pride. You should assess your value based on what God says about you, not what you have determined for yourself, based on what your accomplishments are, what people say about you, etc. And so pride is having an over-concern for yourself. It's thinking more highly or lowly. Some people just have terrible self-esteem. I talk to a brother all the time, and he's like, I'm so sorry I called you in. I hope I didn't bother you, and you just grace me whenever you talk to me. I said, I'm like you. Stop it. It's okay, okay, okay. And thank you. And I appreciate it. Lord, have mercy. And so you can have low self-esteem, and that's pride. Inferiority. You don't like yourself. The, 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 the sin that God hates the most that really is the seed that every other sin is birthed from, is pride. It's pride. At the top of the list, God said, I hate pride the most. Because pride disregards the feelings of others. It doesn't care who it hurts. It demands credit, but it says it doesn't want it. But don't give it credit. It's easily offended when recognition is withheld. How do you feel when you did something and it was really done well and it was a sacrifice and nobody even says thank you? I don't think I'll be doing that again. <laughs> Who did you do it for? Why did you do it? God keeps good books. What you did from your heart as directed by the Holy Spirit did not escape his notice. Pride maximizes the faults of others but minimizes personal sin. You do what they did and it's, eh, what I did, okay. But if you do it, you're not going to be forgiven. You're not going to forget it. And every time it's convenient, they're going to pull you up out their dungeon and pound you with what you did in the past. So pride maximizes the faults of others while minimizing personal sin. It keeps records of wrong. Do you keep records of what people have done to you? Can you remember all the details? Can you remember the day? Can you remember the cologne? Can you remember the music that was playing in the background? I can't remember it all. That's pride. Because the, the God of the Bible says, if you confess your sin, I'm what? I am, come on, church, I am faithful and just, and I will forgive you of how many? All of your sins, and I will cleanse you. We, all, we cool with that. I will get cleansed. I'm cool with that, Jesus. And he says, I will cast your sins 
into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered again. That's what God says. But if we have the audacity, the arrogance to hold forgiveness from others, that ain't nothing but pride. That's pride. God hates pride. And he judges it. Pride ruins relationships. The Bible says that pride only breeds quarrels in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10. People that are prideful, when, they, when you don't see it their way, they're going to argue with you. Or they go, here, here's, here's a, you can argue with someone and never say a word. You just shut down. You give them a cold shoulder. You distance yourself from them. You stay a little longer at work. You forget things that matter to them. You fighting, but you haven't said a word. You haven't thrown a punch. Pride ruins relationships. It leads to devastation. The Bible says pride comes before destruction. Destruction is coming. Pride. Personal pride is deceptive because we can see pride in everybody else but ourselves. I do not underestimate pride in my own life. Sometimes I catch myself and uh, somebody, here's how this works. You be in a room, you're talking and there's someone who's not even part of your conversation, but you want to win the argument, you want to get people on your side, and you just start directing the conversation to that person that ain't even their business, but you want to win. And I caught myself, I said, why am I talking so loud? Why am I doing this? I said, this is why? I, I, had to, I had to check myself and say, Lord, this is, this is not you. This is not you. We all have pride. Say, I do. <laughs> Amen. Some of us are worse than others. Pride is what got Satan kicked out of heaven Pride is what made Adam and Eve eat of the forbidden fruit. Pride is what wrecks marriages and relationships. Pride is what makes you think that if it's not your way, you're not going to support it. Pride, finally, in, in, its, in its worst form, what it does, it dismisses God from his appropriate position in our life. God should be sitting on the throne of our lives, not us. But when pride is in control, I have pushed God aside. And I'm sitting in a space where he should occupy because I'm saying by my decisions and my actions, I know better than God what is best for me. And so when the Lord commands, why would the Lord need to command the Christian to be humble? Because we still got the flesh. And so when we don't deal with pride in our own life, when it rises up, I pray that you are so sensitized by being led by the Spirit of God that you can see when, it's, when pride is in, in, in action. You don't have to be right. You just want it to be right. Somebody say amen. amen. Some people can't support anything if they're not in charge if they're not recognized, if it's different from what they've always done. That's pride. That's pride. If, if we, let me just leave it at that. That's pride. Then move on. Now, how can we <laughs> take our hands 
off through humility. The Bible says, humble yourself under the, under the mighty hand of God, the authority of God. Give him full control. You done, you, you done wrecked your life. You done made terrible decisions. As long as you're riding it, driving this car and you in charge, you're going to always end up in, on the wrong street. So how can we get this thing right? How can we humble ourselves? I'm glad you asked. And at the end of verse 5, it says, but be clothed with humility. Say, be clothed. Be clothed. That, that, that phrase is, a, is in a, the passive voice. And in Greek, what that means, the passive tense means that the action that is being done is not being performed by the subject, but is being performed on the subject. And so in order to be humble, we can't, it doesn't originate with us. It, being made humble, we need to be, God makes us humble. He works on us, through us, and for us, and in spite of us to make us come under the authority of him by lowering ourselves so that he can get full charge. Watch this. Watch this. So he's saying, let God clothe yourself. In, let God dress you up. I know you brought those things in your closet, but you ought to be talking to God about what you're wearing. The, the, the Bible says, the Bible talks about how we adorn ourselves. But in this case, he says, the major garment that you ought to have on is the garment of humility. And just like our parents when we were young and didn't know any better, they dressed us even when we didn't like what they wanted us to wear. God is saying, I know what is best for you to function in, and I'm going to adorn you in the garment of humility, just like Jesus dressed up in humility. In, in John chapter 13, when the disciples were arguing about who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom, he lifted up his skirt, he lifted up his garment, and he took a towel, he took a towel, he dressed up in servant, and he kneeled down, and he began to wash the dirty feet of the disciples. We need to be dressed up in kindness and consideration and patience and temperance. Let him clothe you. Are you dressed in humility today? Did he put his, put his finest on you today? I, the greatest attribute of Jesus when he took on human form was not the healing of the sick and the raising of the dead, but it was his humility because he was always under the authority of the almighty God, even though he was God himself in the flesh. Just minimize. You ought to let the Lord dress you today when you want to say those things to your, your husband, when you feel like you have the right to do what you are about to do because of what they did to you. You need to watch. Oh, we, we used to wear white clothes. There's certain things you can't do when you're wearing your best. I got whooped five times in the same day because I had on new pants playing baseball. And I just, by the time I got the fifth whoop, it didn't even hurt me. <laughs> but the point was that you don't, you don't act any kind of way in your best clothes. When you're clothed with humility, you're going to act like Jesus acted.
It was extension cord too, y'all. That didn't mean a thing to me after that fourth one. Mm-hmm. I told you I'm jacked up. Mm-hmm. Amen. Thank God I'm clothed. <laughs> and then he says, we can take, take your hands off by casting your cares on him because he cares for you. The word that he uses for care in verse 7 is marimnon. Marimnon. And it's the word that we get our English word anxiety, stress, worry. And it literally means to be pulled in two different directions at the same time. That's what stress does. You pull and you, 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 you just feel, you just feel a, a, a pressure. And so he says, cast all of your marimnoms, all of your cares, all of your stresses, all of your worries, all of your problems on me. Take your hands off by releasing your worries, your stresses, your issues to me. Now, how do, you, how do, how do we release our stresses to the Lord? First thing is just say, do it. Do it. First Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, the Bible says, when David's men picked up stones to kill him, I want you to understand that that was a Marimnon moment. They were going to kill him because their families had been taken and all that they had worked for had been stolen. And as far as they knew, their families were dead and everything that mattered to them were gone. And so they said, David, you brought us out here. You brought us out here to zigzag to die. And so they decided, like folk at the hospital, when their loved ones die, they want to beat up the staff. They want to beat up the chaplain. You prayed the wrong prayer. The prayer of faith will heal them. That's what your pastor said. And the Lord never said that healing always ends with physical results. There's a greater healing called wholeness. And I believe that heaven is a real place. And in the presence of the Lord where heaven is, there is peace and there's joy that never ends. The Bible says what David did, he encouraged himself in the Lord. I know you ain't at church. But you better not be waiting for church to get encouragement. You better not be waiting for church to get your strengthening. David took him a dose of divine, supernatural encouragement. He might have been able to say, even in the spirit realm, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. I know that was a little ahead of David, but come on. He, amen. But there was enough that David knew that God had called him. And that God wasn't finished. You need to also, not only do you need to do it, you need to tell it. The disciples were about, the ship was about to sink, and they did everything and all that they knew as sailors. And then finally, the disciples went and they found Jesus sleeping, and they told him, do you care that we're about to drown? 
Jesus didn't even answer them. He was just waiting for them. To, you know, he was just waiting for them to tell him. The Bible says we have not. What was the rest of that? Because we asked not. And so when they asked Jesus, he wiped the sleep from his eyes, and he simply spoke to the, to the, to the raging wind and the, and the waves. I don't even believe he yelled. He simply whispered, peace be still. And the waves said, yes, master. So when we cast our cares, we're doing it, we're telling it, we're releasing it. The word cast means to release. That means you have to throw it away from you to something else. Now, if you throw it like we used to do, I ain't going to tell you some crazy stuff we did, but you throw it to the wrong person, you're going to have more trouble than you started with. But if you cast your cares into the capable hands of Jesus, he won't drop your problems. Not only that, he won't even tell anybody. Release your problems to the Lord. And once you release your problems to the Lord, leave it, leave your problems, and claim the victory. Why? Because the Lord commands us to. He says, cast your cares on me. It's a sin to hold your worries and your anxiety. He said, give them to me. Why does he command us to do it? Because not only does he care, but he can. Say, he can. He says, there's nothing too hard for me. I am the God of all flesh. There is nothing too hard for me. And so I'm releasing it. I'm leaving it at the altar. I'm not just going to pray about it and jump around, roll around, and, you know, worm it and, and then go right back out and still lose sleep. Somebody said, don't make no sense for two people to lose, lose sleep. The Bible says God neither slumbers nor sleeps, so why are you awake? Years ago, before 9-11, there were two trade world center buildings. And on the opposite side of each street, on the, on the opposite side of the streets there, there was a statue, two statues. One was a statue of Charles Atlas, the strongest man in the world. And Charles Atlas could be, the, the statue has him holding a globe of the world in the, over his head and his hands, and he's down on one knee, and you can see every muscle about to burst. You can see all the veins just protruding from his neck, and it looks like that brother's about to explode <laughs> under the weight of the world. But on the opposite side of the street, there's a statue of Jesus holding the entire world in the palm of his hands. What side of the street are you on? What side of the street are you on? Cast your cares on him. When you do, you're not going to be looking like Charles Atlas. When, it, when you're giving it to Jesus, you can rest because he says, I give my children sweet rest. Cast your cares. Let's move on. Take your hands off of the spiritual snooze button. He says, be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, is like a prowling lion roaming to and fro, seeking who he may devour. So he says, be alert and be prepared to take action because what we have done 
We put our hand on the snooze button when it comes to demonic attack. When the Bible says we are wrestling against spiritual wickedness. And so he said, don't ever feel like you can take a break uh, uh, from the enemy's attack. Take your hands off of being just going through the motion spiritually. Take your hands off of being ignorant to the devil's devices. Take your hands off of the fact that the Bible says that we have been given weapons that are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. We have our hand on the spiritual snooze button. We're not thinking about demonic attacks. We're looking at each other, that man, that woman, those church folks. But the Bible says we have an adversary and he's the devil. Here's a key, and let me, let me just share a quick passage. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 15, it says, when we have our hand on the spiritual snooze button, when we're not alert and we're not being on guard, we're not watchful and prepared to take action against an invisible enemy, the person that's sitting next to you and they don't have any weight, you can't see them, you cannot draw a trace, trace around them, they're here. They're demons assigned to you, just like you have ministering angels. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 3, but if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you consume, be consumed by one another. What happens when we, are, when we lost, lost discernment about the spirits that the devil has assigned to us, we turn on each other. We, 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 we dislike each other. We talk about each other, and then we spiritualize gossip. Because we, the devil, who is a deceiver, has caused us to think that the real enemy isn't him, but, but them. The, per, the people that we're going to spend eternity with. Now, why do, we, why do we need to take our hands off the spiritual snooze button? I said we have an adversary. We have an enemy who is the devil. You have a real enemy. And the, de- and the world has so anesthetized ourselves to the wickedness of, of Satan. We see war, we see floods, we see all these things are happening, and we see them as mother, it ain't no mother nature, it's God saying, I'm going to shake up the world so that the world will know that there is a God. This is divine judgment. You're not just having a bad day, you're in sin, and God says, I chasten those who I love, and you're going to keep on having bad days until you do what is right. You have a real adversary. The chief evil spirit is Satan himself. And he ain't going to waste no time on you or me. He has the, a demonic host that were cast out of heaven, billions of demonic spirits around the world that work in, they, there's no division among Satan's troops. But he successfully divides the church. You have an enemy who's actively looking for opportunities to pounce, and the devil never takes a vacation. He never takes a vacation. I remember coming back home from, college, uh, from an event in Philadelphia one time, and I saw that at 3 o'clock in the morning, somebody had broken into the vending machine. I said, who is up at 3 o'clock in the morning on a Thursday night? The devil working through folks. The devil does. You go, to, you go on down to the island. You, you backstroking and having your fun, and you go back to your room. Your wallet's stolen. Your passport's gone. The devil don't care nothing about your vacation. And now you say, I prayed before I went. I saved this money. Church don't work, so now you're staying home. So the devil not only stole your pocketbook and all of that, now he's got you staying home from church. 
The devil doesn't go on vacation, nor does the Holy Spirit. Take the spiritual snooze button off. Stop pointing the finger at what you can see. Our enemy is invisible, but supernaturally empowered and under the control of Satan to oppose the plan of God for your life. I've never had a problem in my neighborhood. One dime, somebody went in my wife's car. She left the doors open, and they took all the change out. Ah, that wasn't too bad. But then I left my car open one night. And I realized when I got up, the, the car was open, and my wallet was, don't forget I said that. Something was in the car, and it was important. <laughs> but no one touched my car. Guess what I did? I got an alarm system. <laughs> Protect my family. Protect my wife. So, so anyway, the, the alarm system, when I'm sleeping or I'm away, it is at work 24-7. Am I right about it? If you have an alarm system. You're not paying those people to do nothing, right? And so why would we pay people to watch things that are going to perish, things that are going to be uh, uh, burned up when the Lord returns, because those things matter to us. And yet we don't have our spiritual discernment activated for the things that matter most, your family, the spiritual growth of your children, hearing the voice of God. And so just like you activate your, your, your alarm system to protect the material things, you need to keep activated the spirit of God so that you can discern what spirits you are dealing with and then call them out. Yes, yes. Said, be, act, be, be alert, be, be watchful, be vigilant, for you have an adversary. And the adversary is the devil. Let me finish with this. He says, resist. Here's the, the fourth thing. Here's how you take your hands off. Resist the devil by standing firm in your faith. Do you see that there? That's not what it says. Resist the devil by standing firm in what? The faith. So the reason I'm going to take my hands off it to stand firm when I'm coming under attack, when you get serious about living for the Lord, when you humble yourself before the Lord, when you start casting your cares on him, when you are in, in, understand that you're in spiritual warfare with your adversary who's the devil, and now you're going to resist, you're going to take a stand firm against the enemy. How are you going to be victorious? He says, stand firm in the faith, the faith that has once and for all been delivered. And that ain't your faith, that ain't my faith. It's the faith that is in, recorded in the scriptures. If you depend on your faith to keep you when you are going through, you are going to cave. But if you depend on the faith, the solid rock upon which we stand, Jesus Christ, what the word doesn't change. I'm so sick of hearing people who are Christian. Well, this is what I think, and this is my opinion. I don't care about what you think. I don't care about your opinion. What has God said about your situation? The faith is revealed in the word of God. The reason you won't stand against all this craziness that is coming down the pike is because this word will never fail. Stand firm in the faith that has been once and for all delivered. But it doesn't stop there in, 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 Judge, in, in Jude chapter 1 verse 3. And it says, with those who have like-minded faith. 
You ought to be amongst Christians who are standing firm in the faith. Because two are better than one, and iron will sharpen iron. Who's holding up your arms? Who's walking with you? Who's helping you not give up? When you, like the other Christians Peter talks about, are going through, you can stand up as you're going through in the faith with those who have like-minded faith. Take your hands off. Stand up. Take your hands off. How? Humble yourself under the, mighty, uh, under the mighty hand of God. How? By casting your cares upon him because he cares for you. How? By taking the spiritual snooze button off, being alert that you have an adversary, the devil, and by resisting him by standing firm in the faith. One of my favorite characters in the Bible, his name is Hill Catcher. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Jacob. <laughs> he had a twin brother named Esau. The Bible said when he was coming out of the womb, he grabbed a hold <laughs> of his brother's ankles. That was Jacob. That's why they gave him the name Hill Catcher. Deceiver. Flim flam dude. Manipulator. He lived his entire life fulfilling the characteristics of that name. Hill catcher, wouldn't let go, manipulating, cheating, deceiving, anything that would give Jacob an advantage. Hill catcher an advantage. But God set up a circumstance where Jacob was finally going to have to take his hands off. I want you to know that God has a time where you're going to have to take your hands off, where you're going to finally realize you really ain't in control. God's going to send you back to deal with the Esau's in your life. The night before Jacob he dealt with Esau, he, he came up with another scheme. He's going to send one group this way, a second group another way. And so he got this all figured out. And then I'm going to give all these things to my brother, and he's going to be greedy and take them, and, and everything will be cool. No, no, no. The Bible said that the angel of the Lord appeared to Jacob during that night. And it says that Jacob wrestled with the angel. It doesn't say that the angel wrestled with him. Jacob's still trying to be in charge, still trying to be in control. And by the, by the time the angel's assignment was over, the angel says, take your hands off of me. The day is breaking. Take your hands off. And we emphasize the place where Jacob said, well, I ain't letting you go until you bless me. You got to bless me. Yes, he held on until he blessed him. But the devil, but the, but the angel of the Lord would not bless him until he took his hands off. What is your name? It will no longer be Jacob. It's going to be Israel. You have wrestled with God and prevailed. You're going to be the father over the tribes of Israel. But it wasn't until he took his hands off. Some of you may be wrestling with the Lord right now because he gave you an assignment that you don't like. You're in a relationship that if you could get out of it, you would. You have a job you hate. You have thoughts in your mind that makes you hate yourself. And you just trying to figure it out on your own. God said, take your hands off. I'll change your name and I will release to you your future and your destiny. Take your hands. Take your hands off. Let's pray.